Good morning. Today we're going to be reading Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. Feel free to read along. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. I will, when I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all your rules of your mouth. In your way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all the riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. Let us pray. Lord, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the opportunity and the ability for us to gather and praise you, the great I am. I want to thank you for the breath of new life that you breathe into the the sick, the lost, and the broken. Lord, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I pray that, Lord, that we would stay steadfast in pouring ourselves into your word so that we may know your truths. I pray that regardless of our circumstance, Lord, that we, with our whole heart and our lips, are able to declare our love for you and everything that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to pour out your spirit today on this service. Pour out your spirit on Steve as he brings your word to us. Lord, I just ask that in all we do, you are glorified. We love you and we praise you. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you guys again today. Hey, I just want to take a moment just to pause and just talk about something that happened last night. Uh, we just had a great time here. I, I couldn't make it, but uh, I was so bummed that I couldn't after I heard what happened. We had a family game night uh, last night, and we had well over, I think we sent 75 people in attendance of and people just having a good time together, laughing together, and uh, just so delighted to hear that. Uh, if you guys don't know this, uh, Tara Holliday, who is our middle school youth pastor, she, she has been elevated into a role as an overseer of our, our family ministry. She still is a middle school youth pastor, but she's coordinating our family ministry. And so what that means is, is Betsy, who is our children's ministry coordinator, Caleb, who's our youth pastor in high school, and, and Tara, what, they meet together and, and they strategize and talk about how we can best serve our families within this family. <laughs> and so uh, this is a rhythm that we want to begin, and it's something that we're going to continue. You're going to see things like this, and so we're thankful for those things. 
And so we're going to kind of jump into week two here. We're in our series on Psalms, and, and Josh did a great job of reading Psalm 119, which is what we're going to focus on today. Now, during my uh, time as a youth pastor, I went on lots of trips. And one of the trips that we took every year was a trip to spring break. I, I was a part of about 15 different spring break trips to Florida. Uh, we, would, we would get teens, we'd have 150 to 200 kids, and we would gather them on a bus, and we would take them to Florida. And one of the things that we would do as a campus life director to save cost for our kids was that we ourselves would become certified and trained as CDL operators, right? And so I went through that training early on in my life. Uh, I remember my first few years in Muncie, I was fresh in college. I remember one trip that we got our kids, we got on the bus, and, and we took off. And I, here I am, new to, to driving a bus and kind of a little swept away with the responsibility. But listen, I took pride in driving buses. I, I loved driving a bus. Uh, it was as crazy as it sounds. And so much so that I developed a complex a little bit that I thought I knew a little bit more than I really did. And so I say that to tell you a little backstory that one night in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I'm on this bus and our brakes. They get a little squishy, right? I'm not driving at the time. The bus driver says, hey, Steve, just so you know, brakes are a little squishy here. We might want to think about this, do something at the next stop. And so I'm like, yes, when we stop next, we're going to try to put our brains together. We'll figure this. And so I, for the next hour plus, sat on that bus, and I went through all my training, right? Okay, Lord, what, what could this be right here? And so I remember back to a class that talked about air brakes and how condensation can build up in our tanks and somehow that affects the performance. And, and I, I just remember that fleetingly, it just a thought in my head, and here's what I did. Ah, oh, that's it. I know it. That's, that's what's wrong with this bus. I'm going to fix this thing when we stop. And so 3 a.m. in the morning, we're in Atlanta, Georgia, right? We get all the kids off the bus. We're going to fill our tanks. Kids are going to go to the bathroom, and I walk up, and I'm determined that I'm going to fix this, right? And so I opened the hood, and I began to look, and then at that point, this small Steve voice came inside of me and said this, you have no idea what you're doing right now, right? <laughs> Just came to me, but I pushed through, because I know, I'm convinced that I know. And so I'm looking around the engine compartment, and I see this little filter that has what looks like water in the bottom of it, and I go, ha-ha, Steve, that's it, you found it. Again, a voice in me said, you have no idea what you're looking at. You are just guessing. And nonetheless, I push through because I'm convinced. And so I take this filter, I pull it off, and I begin to look at it, and I think, how does this water get out of here? There's nothing that allows me to get this water out of here. Hmm, this is really poorly designed. Because if they wanted you to get this water out of here, they would have put a valve for me. And so I took a screwdriver, and I opened a valve, and I began to just shake the water out of this thing, and it's coming out very slowly not coming out very fast at all. And at this time, our kids are just kind of, they're done going to the bathroom, our tank is full, everybody's getting on the bus and we need to go. And so I just close up shop, right? I put everything back in order the way it is. I shut the engine hood and literally this came through my head. That should do it. <laughs> like what, I, I didn't do any, I was convinced somehow that I fixed our bus. And so we get on the bus, I'm beaming because my, my accomplishments, and we begin to take off. And not a hundred yards down the road, I hear, <laughs> our bus dies, comes to a stop, and it will not restart. 
And so here we are at 3 a.m. in Atlanta, Georgia, with a group of 30 kids and some leaders. We send our kids to Steak and Shake across the way. We push our bus to a service station that's in, within um, sight. And for four hours, we waited. And I had a lot of reflection in that four hours, right? I had a lot of reflection, but I still wasn't convinced it was me, right? <laughs> four, hour late, four hours later, a guy shows up. He pumps something and spray something. And five minutes later, we're started and ready to go. He, she, it felt like it cost thousands of dollars, but it was only like a few hundred dollars. And from this guy's perspective, somebody had opened the fuel lines and gotten air into the fuel lines and just killed, right? And that was the moment I knew, right? <laughs> like I knew that one of those dang kids had messed with our bus, <laughs> right? And it caused that stuff, you know? Right? <laughs> Kids. You know, I, I think everybody in this room probably has a story to tell that starts with, you know, after a series of bad decisions, after a series of poor decisions, this happened, dot, 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 whatever it is. Or I did this, dot, dot, dot. I, I don't think that this is unique to me, all right? I like to hope that, but I, I, I'm pretty confident it's not. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. You and I have a considerable issue with taking our eyes off the ball. Uh, we constantly are putting our trust in the wrong things, and we filter our information through the wrong, wrong lenses, and it trips us up over and over and over today. And so what we find David reminding us today, compelling to us today on repeat, is you and I seeking, obeying, delighting, and trusting in God's word and his precepts, and it's for good reason, and it's for good reason. And so today we are doubling down on our conversation about God's word. We lifted it up last week, talked about the what, the issue of biblical illiteracy within our culture. Today we are doubling down and kind of focusing on the why. Why is it important that we seek God's truth? And so this is Psalm 119. It is the longest psalm in our book of Psalms. It's 176 verses long. We decided to only read the first 16 because we probably would have been here through Tuesday if we did not, right? It is the longest chapter of any book in the Bible. And it is also longer than some of the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament. And we focus, we're focusing our time today on the first 16 verses because the content that we find in there mirrors what the rest of the verses say in this psalm. Not to say that there isn't deep treasures and profound wisdom within the rest of the verses. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, David lived around 1000 BC. He would have not had what we have as far as God's word. He wouldn't have had what we have. He would have had the, the Torah, which is the first five books of our Old Testament, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he would have had those. Also some oral traditions, some written traditions. But listen, the contents of this hymn are still important for us today. They are still meaningful for us today here. And so uh, we find him concentrating heavily on considering God's word, his commands, and his precepts. But we also understand this, right? Uh, that, that Jesus Christ is God's word in flesh, right? Jesus Christ is God's word in flesh. He is God's law fulfilled. This is what it says in John 1, 
John 1 verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as, uh, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. And so when we read this psalm about upholding God's word, trusting in God's word, guarding it in our hearts, we know that this is also a reference to Jesus. This is about Christ following, delighting, obeying, and trusting him. And one of the things that I find super fascinating about this psalm is how it's written. This psalm is divided into 22 different stanzas. And there are 22 different stanzas for a reason. They represent a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And each one of these stanzas has eight verses. And every one of those verses, in a, in, I should say this, every one of those eight verses represents a letter, right? Every one of those represents, so it would look like this for us, right? We can't fully see this because of the way it's translated into English, but if we're going to get our minds around it, it would look like this for us. The first stanza would be A, right? And all of those eight verses would start with the letter A. And the second verse would be the letter B. And all of those eight verses would begin with the letter B. That's how this would roll. And the reason that David does that is because he uses this psalm as a way to teach his son Solomon the alphabet. It is such a kind of a sweet thing that we get to read in our psalms a father's teaching tool to his son. But what I find even more fascinating and incredible is that David links something so foundational as learning the alphabet to what he knows to be so foundational in life of obeying and trusting and upholding God's word. He, in a sense, is saying to his son, like obeying and trusting, upholding God's tenets is as important as you reading, writing, and speaking. It is that foundational. What a great tool. What a smart dad here. And why does David believe it's so foundational? It's so foundational because it literally helps us navigate through all of our challenges in life and life in general. Gen, gen, in general. It is where we find God's blessing, which is to be treasured in our life. The psalm begins to, by talking about this phrase, blessing. It says, blessed are those who, whose ways are blameless, who keep his testimonies and his law. God says that if you anchor your hearts, your minds, your soul on my word, on Jesus, right? If you walk in obedience towards him, that is where your soul will find its blessing. Now, if you would survey people in the world and ask them, do you want to live a blessed life? I'm going to guess pretty confidently that you're going to find 100% will respond in the affirmative. Of course, absolutely. Who doesn't want to live a blessed life? The problem, however, comes with how we define blessing how we define blessing. So I think it's important that we compel to you an accurate idea of blessing today, the blessing that comes from our obedience, which is where our true freedom in life comes from. Because in being blessed by the Lord, being obedient to the Lord, it creates uh, something in us that pleasure simply cannot. Uh, it creates an assurance and a steadfastness that cannot be shaken. But you and I know this because of sin because of brokenness, because of us choosing our own way rather than God, we have redefined what a blessing is in our life. In this world now, we are consumed with this idea of blessing as being pleasure. 
that we, we believe that, that fleshly pleasure equates fulfillment. And, and so we are in a perpetual search for the better job, more money, better relationships, more friends, greater success, better houses, bigger houses, bigger cars, more worldly esteem. We have a tendency to pursue the most pleasurable things that we can think of in our minds the most. Now, did God make them? Yes, he made those things pleasurable. But did he design you to seek them, to pursue them with all your heart? Absolutely not. He did not design you to do that, but we have lost sight of it. We have lost sight of him because those things can make us feel good in the short term. And all of this is because we have taken our eyes off what is best for us listening to God's word, obeying his word, trusting in his promises, delighting in his commands. These are the things that David pins over and over and over and over again in this foundational hymn. Do you guys know that in our New Testament, there are 112 references to the word bless, blessing, or blessed? And none of those references connect blessing with material prosperity. They don't. You have verses like, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are reviled and persecuted for my name. Blessed are those who hear my commands and keep them. Blessing is not defined by your personal comforts or less resistance in life. Blessing from the Lord means simply that you have him. That you got God. And he has you. That is the blessing himself that you get to call him Father, through whom nothing is impossible, through whom nothing is inconquerable, and through nothing is irredeemable. That is our blessing. I feel nauseated anytime I hear a pastor or a Christian say something like God's blessing is headed your way. You just need to hold on, friend. Keep praying. Trust. Be more fervent. If you hear that, run. Run from that. Your blessing has nothing to do with your effort. It has nothing to do with your merit. If so, Christ would have died in vain because it would have meant that you could earn right standing with the Father through your own efforts. And that is blasphemy. That is not what blessing is. You are already blessed. You are already blessed. You got God who granted you salvation. His blessing runs all over your life. God is not some sort of cosmic dog trainer that has a bag of treats that's waiting for you to sit so he can bless you. That's not our Lord. Now, does God withhold things from you? Yes. Thank God for that. Why? Because you can't handle them. You can't handle them, and that is a blessing. My eight-month-old has a, a priority in life that she's going to crawl into the bathroom and pull herself up on the toilet. That's gross. Do I let her do that? No. Is it a blessing? Well, I sure think so. Does she know it? No. So she cries every time I stop her journey short. Maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived speaks to this. Paul, our, our beloved apostle, was debilitated with some sort of physical thing. Uh, it refers to it as a thorn in his side. And Paul pleads with the Lord to remove it. And this is what it says here in 2 Corinthians. Paul says that three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, this is God, 
my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. Paul notes that even God's withholding is a blessing because he got to boast in God's power being made perfect in his weakness. You don't, listen, you not having what you want is not God withholding his blessing. God's blessing is that he is withholding what you think you want because you can't handle it. And so the question comes for us. Uh, what else do we need, guys? What else do you need in your life? You got God. And even if you had nothing and still had him, you would be blessed. You would be blessed. You have him. He is our blessing. Drop your shop right there. Put your anchor on that. Delight in that. But this flesh, man, <laughs> this darn flesh, right? It wants us to move away from that. It wants us to seek a different type of blessing, a, a blessing of pleasure. Listen to how Paul again describes this kind of battle that goes on inside of us. He, he writes these in Romans 7. This is the Apostle Paul. This is a familiar verse to many of us. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good, what a great admission from Paul. This is, we have to take note. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. How many of us have said that? Lord, I want to do what's right. I just can't figure out how. This is a profound statement. And David knows this too. I, what I love about David, he's so human. David is so human, but he got, loves God so much. He falls into stupid things so many times. He makes so many bad decisions. And so when David asked this question in our second stanza, when he asked this question, you know that he got the answer through trial and error, through the grace of God. David asked this question in the second stanza, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? He says, by guarding, your, by guarding it according to God's word. How do, how do you walk pure? Guarding your way according to his word, according to Jesus. And this indicates that there's a battle here, right? If you're guarding something, that's a battle. We have to battle because he knows that the world is going to pull us away. But we have to keep battling. And how do we battle? How do we battle? David answers this shortly after when he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. There are other translations that say, I have written your word on my heart so I may not sin against you. And so the answer for us fighting the good, good fight of keeping our hearts diligently on the path of obedience where our blessing is, is to store up God's word, laws, and precepts in our hearts, write them on our hearts. And so this is a full acknowledgement from David through the inspiration of God that you are going to wonder, you are going to forget what God has given to you, how he has blessed you, you will be distracted by trinkets and toys of this world. And so write God's word on your heart. Know his precepts, know his word so thoroughly that you can thwart the lies of the enemy 
and all those enticements of the pleasures of the world along the way. Because here's the reality. You and I, we do not know what's best for us. We just don't. We don't. And maybe despite your lack of acknowledgement of that, let me just tell you, you are perpetually reinforcing this daily. Daily. Uh, I was meeting with my financial guy this week. He's a friend of mine. Uh, Mostly because... Uh, I need some boundaries with my money uh, because cash in my hand quickly becomes cash in Amazon's hands if I don't have limitations, right? And so I'm talking to this guy, and and, and in passing, he just talks about his Apple Watch. He's just kind of talking about it. And in passing, he makes this comment. Yeah, this thing reminds me when I'm sitting too long, and it tells me to move. So not only do we not know what's best for us, we now have to be reminded to move. Like, that's how bad this thing has gotten for us. We just need constant reminder for us to do the right thing. Look, we do that in our lives. Alarms, we just need constant prodding to do the right thing. We are reinforcing this daily. You do not know what's best for you. And part of the reason that David so rhythmatically reminds us, repeats himself of the importance of obeying God's word, trusting God's word, delighting in his commands, is the fact that what we hope in, what we trust in, What we delight in, what we obey, becomes the anchor that our hearts and souls hold on to, that brings knowledge to our time and our place. If we think of a a boat, I brought an anchor up today. If we think of a boat, um, anybody, a lot of people have boats out here. If a boat drops anchor, what's its intent, right? A boat drops anchor because it wants to prevent the boat from drifting away from where it wants to be and to drifting into things that it might harm it. And so that's why a boat drops anchor. And what does that anchor do for us? Well, it provides us some anchors, some boundary, right? Some limitations in our life. I can only go this far, right? And so that's what we do when we we drop an anchor. And so if if we're we're delighting in God's word, we're delighting in his word, loving his precepts, obeying his commands, seeking Jesus, then we have anchored ourselves to a spot that it needs to be. We've anchored ourselves to the spot it needs to be. It, it will sink in. It will be grounded. That's what that anchor does. It gives us boundaries and limitations. Because listen, The only person that gets to tell you who you are and what your purpose is, the only thing that cares for you at a level that is unrivaled, the one that would know you inside and out, inside and out, is the one that made you, the one that created you. He's the only one that gets to inform your identity. He is the only one that gets to inform your purpose in life. If you're putting your your trust and your hope in something other than him, if you are delighting in other things besides him, and if you're not seeking him more than anything, you do not have an anchor. You have a weight. You have a weight. Because that anchor will not hold. And that weight becomes a burden. And all it does is drag you to and fro as the current of this world moves. It moves you towards the type of people that you never believed that you would be, the type of things that you never thought you would be associated with. 
And so David says, fix your eyes. Trust me. I will not forget your word, God. I will store up your truth in my heart because it's the only place that I find my blessing. We become blessed that we get him and he has us and that is much richer than any trend, fad, or treasure of this world. And anchoring ourselves to his truths, it creates for us boundaries that allow us to know who I am, what I'm going to do. It helps us know what we're prone to do. It helps us to see our limitations and give those weaknesses and limitations to the one who can deal with them a lot better than we could. But often we just continue to drift from one thing to the next, from one person to the next, hoping that we'll find that next blessing in our lives. Friends, it's already there. You just put your anchor in the wrong spot. And so friends, today I close with this challenge, like, what are you anchoring yourself to? What are you anchoring yourself to in your life? <clears throat> what do you put your trust in? What do you put your hope in? What do you delight in? If it's God, then delight in its word. If it's God, delight in his word. Delight in Jesus. Seek after him. Guard your heart diligently. This world will come after you. Guard it. And that's where you find your true freedom. And listen, if it's not, if it's not in God, then I would say to you, like, are you sick of being weighed down yet? Because I know you feel it. Are you tired of drifting? And I would just say, set your heart in your soul, in your life. Anchor your life into the only place that it can, in Christ. If we confess with our hearts, our mouths, and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we set our anchor in the right spots. And so if that's you today, and you need to refocus, and put your anchor in the right spot, put your trust, your hope in the right spot, there's no better time to do that than today. But don't leave here without telling somebody so we can pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and we just give you praise and honor <laughs> as a blessing. We get you. We got you and you got us. I don't need anything else in this world but you, Lord. Help us to just be satisfied in you and not seek after the pleasures of the world as our anchor, as what defines us, as what we hope in, as what we trust in. God, help us to find our, our hearts and our souls anchored to you because you're the only one that gets to tell me who I am and what you have for me. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your awesome name.